people who choose youth work are truly amazing individuals. These are people who care so deeply for our young people and have a real passion for service. My name is Paul Munir. I'm the executive director of YIPA, and I'll interview some of these youth workers from around the globe, and we'll figure out just what makes them tick and drives their passion. Welcome to this edition of The Passionate Youth Worker. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of The Passionate Youth Worker, and we're joined today by Angela Hill. She is the program manager at Children's Center Thunder Bay in Ontario, Canada. And Angela, we're just super happy to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're super happy that you accepted our offers to be a guest. So thank you. Um, When we think about getting into the field of youth work, most of us don't necessarily wake up one day and say, I'm going to grow up and be a youth worker. However, you took a little different path. You had uh, kind of a mindset that you wanted to work with young people. And how did you know uh, at an early age you wanted to get into this field of youth work? Paul, all I knew, I think, is that I really liked working with kids and that my career was going to involve kids. Um, So I knew that, I think, from, you know, the time I was started babysitting or helping with the kindergarten class down the hall. Um, And the youth worker part came from thinking about how will I work with kids? I didn't want to be a teacher. You know, becoming a physiotherapist took too much science. So And I thought about even working in a daycare and I applied to an early childhood education program and I got into the child and youth worker program. And as soon as I hit that college program and it talked about working with high needs kids, it just fit. And so since then, I've continued to work with high needs kids and it has been a good fit my whole life. High needs kids, most people don't think that that's the kind of young people they want to work with. Most people are attracted to um, the star students or the the star athletes. And but it takes a special kind of person to go. I want to work with the, the the kids that might have the most difficult needs. And somehow you had that in you from the very beginning. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it was somewhat about working with kids who had a really high level of need that. Um, were and from the beginning, I've worked in residential care from my first day, and so probably just because my first placement was in a live-in treatment program, that's kind of been my passion since the time I've started my career. Even although I've moved from frontline to the social worker to the supervisor, it's really always involved high needs kids in a live-in treatment kind of program. Mm-hmm. And you you said as we were getting to know each other, you just really wanted to make a difference and you wanted to have an impact in some sort of way. And so have you found that? Do you feel like you're making an impact? Do you, do you feel like you're influencing the lives of young young people? I do. And I think how I've made an impact is what's changed over a career. So in the beginning, it was about developing that relationship with the youth and trying to make that connection. So then you could offer them some skills. And I really appreciated that challenge of making a connection to a difficult kid and understanding where they came from. And then I thought in my career, families have the most power to change. 
not kids. And so then I went off and I started again in a residential treatment program, but became the family therapist working with the families and working with the youth workers. And then later in my career, I think I really got to like working with systems and helping systems understand kids' needs. And um, and even as a supervisor now, it's my job to take care of staff so staff can take care of kids. So it's a level indirect now, but it's still about helping people understand those kids' needs and how they can meet those needs differently. So you've played many different roles and the types of different youth work, and you've um, impacted people in different sort of ways. But where did where did that that desire, where that impact to make a difference come from? Are there things in your family? Are there dynamics that you grew up that kind of instilled this ability or this desire to always want to help? You know, honestly, Paul, I think sometimes maybe when you come from a, most of us have gone through some kind of adversity or challenges in our family and and mine was an alcoholic mother. And so maybe it was easier for me to be a caretaker because I was a caretaker in my own home. And at some times in your life, that's really difficult and challenging and causes you all kinds of pain. Um, But at other times in your life, it's something that maybe taught you some skills that were valuable and uh, made you a bit more resilient. And maybe also, you know, a lot of people who did caretaking in their family find their a path into caretaking, whether it's nursing, social work, psychology, they're still doing a little bit of caretaking along the way. It's interesting to think about. So growing up in a family with an alcoholic, um, we tend to think of that as, as some sort of um, developmental hurdle that you're going to have to deal with or overcome at some point in time. But what you've been able to do is take what may have been um, less than an asset growing up and turned it into a way to, you know, help other people. So in a, in a really weird roundabout sort of way, uh, your alcoholic parent has allowed you to go out and positively impact other people. Um, have, have you ever thought about it that way? I have, but I don't think there's an easy way to get to it. And I think early in my career, I thank goodness I had a good supervisor who helped me not rescue kids and be that, you know, I want to rescue them from their families. And also um, early in my career, I wasn't very good with working with alcoholic mothers. I was pretty darn judgmental of them. So that's when you really need to have a good supervisor to make sure that you're not working on your own stuff at work, that, you know, you're there for the kids and you're not working through your own issues because yeah. they do impact us. Oh, w- without question. And that's a hard thing to get good at is to know where your issues start and where they end. And when you're interacting with a young person, are you dealing with things from your own past or are you dealing with, are you in the moment with that young person? Um, That takes a lot of professional growth and it takes a lot of good supervision and and a willingness on a youth worker's part to be self-examining and to really ponder why you do what you do. Um, where did you get that um, ability to decipher that? You said your supervisor. Um, are there other things or did you seek kind of help yourself or how did you get to be so good at that? Because you obviously are. Well, I think I, you know, Paul, I took a child and youth worker course in college and here in Ontario, that's a three-year course that is really meant to train you to do frontline youth work. 
And I also did a master's in social work, but it didn't really happen in my master's in social work. It happened in my child and youth work course where they really pushed you to know where your triggers were because kids have radars. They can find those triggers and you are the tool that the kid is going to learn from. So you have to know where you're vulnerable and you have to know what baggage you're carrying into it. So that college course was amazing. And, you know, it's been a long time since I took that college course. I graduated in 80 and they're still asking people to do those reflection pieces. So I think youth work demands that. As a social worker, I can sit with a really challenging youth for an hour. They're probably going to be fairly polite with me. But if I have to live with them on the floor in a group context for 12 hours, that's hard work. And that's where I could really get triggered. And because uh, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to be frustrated, I'm going to be managing aggressive behavior, high risk behavior. You need to have your stuff together to be an effective youth worker. It's a long 12 hour shift. It, it is. That's a long time. And if you um, have to examine yourself like that, do you do you think like you still do that? Uh, do you do, to be the best you can be to to bring the most passionate and the most um, best self that you can present at work. Do you still have to examine that? Do you think, or is that something you get good at and you can move past? I think you have to keep it in mind, not as much as it was before, but I think you almost have to worry that you don't become too much the other way. If, you know, my oldest son was born with a great temperament and was super easy to parent, I might become judgmental thinking, well, if you just did these parenting things, then you could have a great child like I had and recognizing children are born with very difficult temperaments. My next one gave me a real run for the money. Otherwise, I might have been kind of condescending with people thinking, look how easy that was. And my circumstances are different. I'm not struggling with basic needs and poverty or um, you know, I'm not struggling with racism. So I think your awareness of it is at a different level. For me right now, cultural context is really important in a way that it wasn't when I was younger. So I'm really trying to think about making sure that my white middle class ideals are not getting in the way of helping me understand what it means to work with indigenous clients. So I think you always have to be aware of it, but it shifts over time. Mm -hmm. It goes to show like how personality and our brains are, you know, uh, always evolving, always changing. And the, our situation around us is, is never the same. It's always growing. And that's one of the things I think is makes really good youth workers is the ability to, to grow and develop into this field. You talked about working long shifts um, with, uh, with young people, a 12-hour shift in a residential treatment center. But Angela, I learned about you that you um, brought that to a whole new level, infinity and beyond. You brought a young person with fetal alcohol syndrome into your house and blended them into your family. And, and that just shows your real dedication and passion for helping young people. How did you come to the decision that I'm going to care so deeply that we're going to uh, bring this person into our house for 10, 12 years? I know it was a long time. Um, you know, I think it happened at a time where there was a child I was working with and the system he was, he'd gone through foster homes and group homes and he wasn't able to manage. And they were talking about needing to send him to, 
you know, thousand miles away and he didn't want to do that. He had a wonderful social worker who was advocating for him and um, they were developing new therapeutic foster homes at that time where they were recognizing when you're placing really difficult children, you have to put more supports into the foster home. You have to hire a foster parent with a higher level of skill, a foster parent. So you need to reimburse them more. You need to provide them with more respite. You need to help them maneuver through systems. So I think I was very lucky. My foster son lived with us from 12 to 22. um, And we also had wonderful respite. He got connected with two families as soon as he came to with us. And he spent a weekend with each family once a month. So two weekends a month, he got a break from us. We got a break from him. And wasn't he blessed that he got to go to the same family for 12 years because they brought him into their family as well. So he had quite a stable life for 12 years, even although three of us shared in the parenting. So the system was ready to do something different. And I think maybe I was just too stubborn to quit. But my husband and I worked very hard and often said, I'm done. It's your turn. I'm tagging out. Uh, That's so important. And and not only parenting, but in youth work too, it is to be able to um, defer sometimes and realize that you're not at a place where you can be positive and have a positive impact with a young person and knowing how to tag team and, and lean on your peers to be able to help out is really important thing. Angela, you, you described yourself as a aha, aha junkie. What is an aha junkie? Well, I think, you know, early in my career, when you were working with a child, you tried so many different things and strategies so that you made that connection and you packaged something in something away in such a way that the youth went, ah, I get it. I could try this instead of that. And so you really get the to like the feeling. You get a bit of a high when the child makes a new connection to you, to an idea, and you see them use it. When I went to work with families, I found the same thing. I was waiting for parents to have that aha moment that they understood their child differently, what meant they would do something differently in meeting their needs. When I became a supervisor, I wasn't sure if it was going to work for me because I thought, where am I going to get the aha moments? Like That's what makes life really fun and fills up your, your cup. But I found when I was working with staff and we were doing supervision, if we were working through something, when their eyes lit up with the light bulb and they had an aha moment, I found out it was just as rewarding to do that with staff as it was to do it with clients. That's a that's a really interesting way to describe uh, what youth work is like. Um, and, and clearly at all different levels, that aha moment, because often there's not big, huge transformations overnight. Usually it's small incremental steps along the way. And it's those aha moments, either within ourselves or with in a young person, or in your case, now you're describing, it could be somebody that you're supervising that has that aha moment that just pushes things down the road, always kind of moves the ball in the right direction. And, um, it, it's like a little shot of dopamine, right? It's it's like uh, when your phone rings or your Facebook, you got alerts, you got to check them, right? It's that that that's kind of the part about youth work that is really appealing to a lot of people. I think it is. It's in that connection, right? And I try to think if there was a marriage therapist who said, no matter what relationship you're in, if it's a healthy relationship, there are five positives to every negative. So 
as a youth worker, when I was working with kids and kids that are really demanding or really aggressive, you really have to work hard to think, did we have five positive interactions for every time I had to have more of a negative interaction where I told you to stop? And, and then when I'm worth my staff, I still try to keep that same ratio in my head. Am I giving you five positives to every time I said, well, let's think about how we can do that better next time, you know, and I'm asking them to do something different that they might not even agree with. So I'm still trying to stay strength based and to keep our relationships positive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I think when you do work with young people, there is a lot of positive interaction, right? Young people in general are just kind of fun. Sometimes they say things that are kind of silly. Sometimes they like to mess with you. All those kinds of things give you a lot of positive interaction. But it's easy to focus on the negative one because that seems to have like the most emotional impact on us from time to time. And we've seen people come in this field that can't do that. They can't focus on all the good things. They get trans fixed on the, the the one bad thing that happened. And you obviously have gotten really good at being able to prioritize the, your interactions and the behaviors in a, in a way that allows you to just keep going and making that impact. And I think the kids that come into residence, they're not easy to like sometimes. Let's be honest. You have kids that can be really aggressive and you have you know, adult size adolescents that are aggressive. You have kids that have learned the world is not trustworthy. And so they don't want to trust you. And they're telling you where to go and how to get there. You have kids that are significantly engaging in self-harm or suicidal behavior. So for those kids in residences, it's actually really hard to make sure that you do have five to one. Um, in some settings more, that are, you know, maybe in a school setting or a recreational setting, it's easy to enjoy times with kids. But when you're working with the highest needs kids in an intensive program, you're getting really difficult kids and you've got to work hard to connect with them and to find ways that they're going to open up that armor a little bit and just let you in to see something about them. I don't know if it's true in Canada, but it's certainly true in the United States that there is this prevailing image or this stereotype that somehow this is youth work is kind of an easy thing to do. All you do is play games with young people. And, and for those of us who work in the field, know that that is so far from the truth, that it is a profession. It's really difficult. And the value we add is so high that um, I, I think that, uh, that, that, that idea that somehow this is just something you do until you decide to get a real profession is so misconstrued here in the United States. Is that true in Canada too? Or is there a different perspective on the field in Canada? I think we might be a little bit different because we do have a youth work college course. You can do a degree in youth work. You can do it. We have someone in our town who has a master's in child and youth work. So I do think it has a bit more credibility as a profession, but you still get a lot of people who say, well, yeah, sure. You just play with kids. And it's like, well, if I am playing with kids, it's because I'm teaching them about turn taking, social skills and all of these. I'm not just playing. I have a lot of intentional learning and assessments. I'm seeing if you can count. I'm seeing if you can be patient. I'm seeing if you can wait your turn. So, yes, you use play, but you're using it to assess and to teach, which is a very different thing than just playing with a child. Yeah. It's it's difficult work, and thank goodness we have people like you, Angela, uh, in the field making things better for young people. We're going to take just a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about 
some of the things that give you hope and some of the things that uh, give you some pause. We'll be right back. No matter how you support our young people, YIPA has your training needs covered. Visit yipa.org. That's yipa.org to see for yourself and then join the thousands of youth workers around the globe who learn from our easy to access exceptional trainings. Members enjoy free unlimited access to live online and on-demand trainings and a preferred discount pricing for our one-of-a-kind certification training. Annual memberships are just $99 for individuals and only $250 for your entire organization. Visit yipa.org today to learn more. That's yipa.org. And we're back with Angela Hill from the Children's Center in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Angela, when you go to work, uh, some days uh, you have a good sense of hope and optimism and you, the, you, you live that out throughout the, the, your time at work. But what do those days look like when you're done working and you know, okay, today was a good day. Uh, things went well. What gives you hope? You know, it can be very different. Um, we had a team meeting this week where we were concerned about some aggressive behavior in the residence from, from one of our guys and the staff came up with a plan about what they were going to say every time it happened. And he wasn't really meaning to hit you, but he was kind of faking it and it was worrying staff. They were afraid for their safety, but they came up with a script. They came up with a behavior plan. They came up with a consequence. You know, if it happens, you're going to use lose 15 minutes of computer time. Two weeks later, last night, that behavior is gone. And so staff are really celebrating it's not just about the behavior being gone, but it's also about staff feeling safe at work. But the behavior disappeared because staff were all on the same page. They all gave a consistent message. It had meaning to the kid because he didn't want to lose his computer time. And we also worked hard to come up with a script so that we connected to the youth and helped them understand the importance of boundaries and safeties. We didn't just give a command to stop it. So really important to make the connect before you correct the behavior. And so when you see that happen and then you see your team a lot happier, that's a small incidence, but you still say, hey, that's really great. That kid learned something this week and my, my team is feeling safer and they're happier in their team meeting this week. And that's something to celebrate. Another one was we had a child who's 12 years old, struggling in school since day one. School really perceives him as an aggressive behavioral problem. We just had a neuropsych done. This child has a profound learning disability, great verbal skills. So people didn't really pick up on it. Unfortunately, he's 12. He can't read and write yet. They thought that was because his behavior was getting in the way or because he'd missed so much school because they kept suspending him. Now they have a different view of the child. Now we're talking about how to integrate into a classroom where he can get some assistance and go back and learn how to read and write. That's another thing to celebrate even although you could still be annoyed with the school that it maybe took six years. Yeah. Those are th those little celebrations, right? Th th that's your aha moment that you're talking about. Um, the little cell. So when you have an aha moment, do you try to celebrate? Do you point it out? Do you let everybody be aware, including the young person that progress was just made? 
Absolutely. I mean, and I pointed out when in the staff meeting last night and people said, gee, the kid really made gains. And I said, no, the team really pulled it together. You were all consistent. You all did such a great job. That's why it worked, because everyone was lined up and gave the same message shift after shift. That's why it worked. The young person changes because the adult does something different. And if you have I have 34 child and youth workers working in a group home. I have to make sure all my ducks are lined up in the same row and everyone, although they're bringing their own gifts around connections, that they're giving the same message to the youth. So that is something really to celebrate when we do it well and we're giving that consistent message. And then we see the response in the youth. Yeah. Throughout the course of our conversation, you've brought up systems quite a bit, and I assume that's probably because you've uh, moved out of the direct frontline service into more of a program manager, but it's true for all people who work with youth that the systems um, really are influential. And you like your example that you just gave, it was everybody was in sync. It was all set up for success and not set up for failure. So how much do you think you can have an impact on those systems? And Angela, how much do you work on trying to change those systems to impact young people? I think I stopped trying to change systems. And I think um, in my younger days, I, they were, I was the worker people liked. And if they didn't like the social worker at Children's Aid or at the school board, well, wasn't I lucky that I was the one they liked? And if other people just did something different, then it could go better. After working with systems, I realized that I couldn't tell anyone else what to do. And I needed to work on my relationships because it wasn't helpful to the client if I was siding with them that their children's aid workers should be doing more. It's not helpful. So instead, I tried to develop positive relationships with systems. I still advocated like crazy for my clients, but it was more about my clients' needs rather than the system's shortfalls or what they should or shouldn't do. Instead, it became, how can we meet this family's needs? And I also worked more on helping families work better with school systems, whether it was the teacher, the psychiatrist, whoever it was. And because when you wrap services around a family and you have multiple services who are working more together and more cooperatively, we get further because the family knows if we're fighting with another agency and it just gets in the way because then they're left to choose. So I think that's one of the ways that I've matured and developed is I try to have that strength-based perspective about systems. And I find that if I try to help them understand children's needs versus telling them what to do, it's more successful. Oh gosh, telling people what to do, that's a that's a great way to not make any gains with them, right? Yes. Especially like when we work with parents. I know um when when we work with parents, if we if we try to give the parents directions and say, do this, don't do that, pay attention to that. Often we're just passing on what we think is important for them. And I think it like, so the systems part is not just like the systems, like the county systems or the healthcare systems. It's, it's also like the family structure system. And so those lessons that you applied there, they also fall into the family, right? We have to work with what the family can give young people as well. I think youth workers run the risk of they get so connected to the youth 
that sometimes they can be judgmental of parents that they don't know very well. Mm. And if we truly take the time to get to know the parents and understand what's impacted them, what are they struggling with? What are the things going on in their daily lives that take away from their capacity to do all the things we're asking them to do? Almost always families are doing the best they can with what they have. And we need to take time to understand that and to be non-judgmental about that. And then to kind of reach a point of what would be helpful today, not about what I think would be helpful, but rather what you think would be helpful so that you could understand and manage your kids better. So youth workers have to watch that they don't advocate so hard for youth that they do it at the risk of jeopardizing their relationships with the parents. Uh, really good insight because if, if, the, if the parents and the young people aren't in sync, uh, that homeostasis is not going to be healthy. And so you have to work with what they got. Um, Angela, uh, so some days you get a lot of those aha moments. Other days, those aha moments are hard to find. Some days it's hard to find those five positive to one negative. What's a day like in, in your world where you feel like, oh gosh, uh, this is a tough field. I'm not making progress. What, what gives you hesitation that you're making progress? What are those things that are difficult? I think it is the system issues where you see that our child welfare systems, kids are still going through multiple placements or multiple workers. And that even as a system, we're not being consistent and compassionate enough. So those are the things that are frustrating that I don't feel that I can necessarily do a lot of things about. So some of those you have to let go and know that you did advocate in as many ways that you could. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I can't necessarily make all the changes that I want to. Um, you know, programs, uh, the, sometimes there's not enough money for children's mental health. Sometimes there's not enough staff and I, I can't hang on to the ones that I can't change too much. I have to focus on where I can make some gains and advocate for my children, families, and my staff. Would you say good days are more frequent than bad days or vice versa? Oh, way more good days. If you were, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to force you into box. What percentage would you give it, Angela? How many days are good and how many days are bad? 90% good, 80% good. 95% good? Oh, the clinical work still creates such joy in me because you, you, you run into families, you go, I've never seen that before. So you're always still learning and that's the joy of it. Mm -hmm. You see um, whether it's understanding something different, like we weren't very good in my starting my career at understanding how trauma affected brains. So I can get pretty excited about that. So systems could still make me crazy, but if there's still something passionate to learn about and to keep us focused on the more we understand kids, then the better we are at helping them, then I can still find something to be happy about almost every day. That's a really, um, nice sentiment to think about if we're willing to learn and willing to grow, we're always willing to, we can always find something to be hopeful about. We're, we're running out of time and we only have a few minutes left, but I would like to ask you, Angela, what is the big takeaway that all your experiences, all your things that you've pieced together in your longevity in this field, what do you want listeners to know? 
I think if we really take time to assess, often we think that kids are being non-compliant or we think that parents aren't trying or we think that systems aren't trying and they're just being difficult. But sometimes it's not that they won't, but rather it's they can't. And if a child can't do something because they lack the skill or they lack a resource, if parents can't do something for those same reasons, it gives you a different frame of reference to think that people they can't with the tools they have versus they're just being difficult and they won't. So I always try to figure out what is it that they can't do because they don't have the tools and how can I help in that rather than kind of saying, well, they're just being difficult to engage in power struggles because they're choosing not to. Most times human beings, whether it's systems, parents or kids, they're not choosing to be bad or difficult. They're doing the best they can with what they have that day. Ah, that's that's beautiful insight, and I believe that, um, and and I share that uh, perspective with you. That I think most people are inherently good, and I think it's so easy for human beings to make a snap judgment about somebody else, um, about how they must have some sort of character flaw, or they must have something about them that they're intentionally trying to cause harm or do damage to other people. And and it's hard to, to subscribe to that. After you've worked with young people for so long, you realize that so many of these things that they do are just because they don't know what else to do, or they don't know how else to get their needs met. And sometimes they're just survival strategies. So that's a wonderful way to leave it. So thank you, Angela. Thank you, Paul. It's been great fun chatting with you. Well, it's been wonderful. And and, uh, we're really appreciative of all the youth workers out there who day in and day out find those, you know, aha moments and feed their own addiction into trying to make that incremental gains with young people. And and, uh, us at Yippa are so appreciative and so full of value that the work that you do, that we're grateful and we thank you for the work that you do. And uh, I'm Paul, your host of The Passionate Youth Worker. Thank you for joining us for this episode with Angela Hill. If you have a passion for youth work and would like to be featured as a guest on The Passionate Youth Worker, just visit us at yipa.org. That's Y-I-P-A.org and click on the podcast tab and send us your information. This podcast was made available in part from the generous donation from M Health Fairview. We're grateful for their support. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Paul Munir. Please join us again for The Passionate Youth Worker.